Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. Binksy here in cricketing morning in my lounge room after England's abject display against New Zealand in the warm-up for the World Test Championship. We're going to talk about that series. We'll briefly touch on Shakib's tantrum, West Indies versus South Africa. And we're also delighted to be joined later in the podcast by DJ from the Edges and Sledges cricket podcast out of India to talk about the World Test Championship final, all coming up on the Top Order podcast. Stay tuned. Well, guys, we're going to start this week in cricket and keep it super quick um, if we can, because we've got lots to get through with England, New Zealand in the second test match in Birmingham. Then on to the World Test Championship final preview, including some comments from uh, DJ from the Edges and Sledges podcast, which was a very enjoyable half an hour chat um, that we had with him earlier uh, in the week. Um, But Raj, we're going to start, I think, with you and West Indies, South Africa uh, in action as well at the moment. Yes, thank you, Binksy. In a word, it was embarrassing for the West Indians. Uh, the end result, a South African victory by an innings and 63 runs. Uh, I guess it, it, was, it was interesting for a number of points. I'll throw to you guys really quickly. Uh, West Indies chose to bat on a pitch that looked very lively uh, for the pace bowlers and were bundled out for 97. And you're not going to win many tests after being bowled out for under 100 in the first innings. Uh, probably performances of note, uh, Quinton de Kock, 141, not out. He's looked really good since his return, uh, even to the IPL. He played some great, great innings in the IPL. And then uh, here against the West Indies, he batted really well. Um, what else was there? In the, oh, and then the, the South African bowlers, uh, Ngidi, Nokia, Rabada, all great bowling. Uh, and then for, for the West Indies, the only real silver lining or shining light there is Jaden Seals, who was on debut. Uh, he looks looks to have a bit of pace and move the ball a lot. Uh, key questions for me, uh, mainly around the West Indies batting, uh, which folded like a house of cards, really, in both innings. Uh, bad shot selection and temperament are the key. Uh, a lot of soul searching required before the next test. And then also questions around uh, the pitch for me. If you, if you look back at the last series with Sri Lanka, it was uh, two draws, uh, two five-day draws. Uh, and then this pitch, uh, you've come in, it's very lively. Uh, it looked like a West Indies pitch of the 80s, and um, they just happened to have uh, Nokia, Ngidi, and Rabada bowling to them uh, in those conditions. So those are the key questions for me. What do you guys reckon? Yeah, look, for me, I think that that West Indian batting lineup, we've praised a lot of the guys in that side over the course of the last 12 months or so. Um, we've said, you know, Bonner's got a little bit of promise. Mayers obviously came in and did really well with that. Um, big, big hundred um, in the previous series. But look, they're still a little bit inexperienced. And I think Rost and Chase, um, probably at least one too high at four in that batting lineup um, for me. Um, Shy Hope um, returning to the side as well at the top of the order rather than um, with the gloves and potentially um, a little bit lower down the order. Um, But I think we're going to probably expect that as they... Um, as they rebuild, I guess echoing your comment, Raj. Nice to see another seamer um, for the West Indies coming to the side in, in Jaden Seals and show a little bit of pace and and, and adding to that um, adding to that battery. Um, but yeah, look, got to give credit to South Africa and um, there's some formidable pace attacks going around at the moment, isn't there? And I think um, Norkey has looked really really good um, alongside um, Rabada and and Ngidi's got a little bit of pace as well. So. Um, good signs for you know the fast bowling stocks around the world. Yeah, look, I'm 
my only comment really here is that I guess it's no real surprise that it's taking uh, that that the West Indies have taken a step back there. I mean, you you know, we've we have praised them and talked about them and, and hopefully, you know, taking that step forward. But, you know, it, turnarounds don't happen overnight usually. And yeah, I think there's there's gonna be a little bit of pain for them and, and especially on uh, against good bowling attacks like that. That batting lineup is we're gonna talk about some fragile batting lineups a bit later on, I'm I'm sure. But uh yeah, that West Indies batting lineup has, has still got a bit of work to do. Yeah, I mean, they did lose in Kumra Bonner, uh, you know, concussed facing his, I think, first or second ball of the test. He managed to get through 32 balls, didn't feature in the second innings and was replaced by Kyron Powell. So, you know, he, he's a big loss for them um, because he's he's probably their most stable top-order player at this point. Uh, Roston Chase has been okay. Like you say, Adam, Roston Chase may be one too high, but they've got a lot of players who sort of, sort of about five or six and not many that are really kind of locked into that 3-4 position. If they can get a guy who can kind of, they can build their innings around someone like a Shiv Chander Paul or, or someone like that that can bat for a long period of time and they can build around him, I think, you know, the West Indies will be much more successful moving forward. I wouldn't mind them picking one more fast bowler. I mean, you have a look at that attack that's got Cornwall, Roach and Seals as their three primary bowlers, backed up by Jason Holder, and then you're relying on Roston Chase and Kyle Mayers as the all-rounders. So, um, you know, th- th- I think they could have one more specialist bowler in their lineup and bat Joshua De Silva at, at six or seven and, and Holder in the other spot. So just a question for Lippy. I'll give it to Lippy. Do you think that um, we have been giving West Indies too much credit for their last few performances? And this is the coming back to earth against a, a nation that is traditionally very good at cricket. Uh, has been up there and and it's just brought them back to earth? Or do you think that uh, this is a bit of a uh, out of character for the West Indies? Maybe out of character is not the way to put it, but it's different to how they have been. I th- I think realistically for me, the, the idea, I guess it's still a work we're not sure. And that's, uh, that's what we wanted to see. I think that when we talked about the series and coming up, we were saying, well, look, both of these sides have had their troubles in the past few years so 12 months I guess they haven't been the powers particularly South Africa has sort of fallen down the picking order a little bit from a, from a really strong position at, at, you know a couple of years ago and the West Indies sort of rebuilding a little bit so to me this is a real it's an it's a series where we get to see where those teams are are actually at and I, and I think we'll continue to see that over the next six months it's like I said, it's it's not something that's going to happen overnight for, for either of these teams, you know. South Africa doesn't make them a great side again, just just one test win. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's uh, definitely something to keep an eye on over the next six months, 12 months. Well, just so we've got a segue into the England-New Zealand um, test match wrap-up, those of you who've got YouTube or Twitter or any uh, social media would have seen uh, Shakib's little tantrum in the Bangladesh Premier League, um, kicking the stumps out of the ground after uh, a decision um, not going his way, a la Michael Holding back in the, the 1980s. I'd say Mikey did it a little bit more gracefully, just sort of got the uh, the leg up nice and high, sent the stump cartwheeling. Maybe the, you know, the stump holes had been watered um, nicely. But um, yeah, Shakib um, in the news again for perhaps the wrong reasons. Jeez, that was just outrageous, wasn't it? I mean, what? I, I mean, I don't know what's going on in his head, really. Is you know who who knows? But I mean, there's a very good article on on Crick Info uh, that's popped up over the last day or two, just sort of about really how uh, the Bangladesh Cricket Board 
you know, whether they should have kind of reined in his behavior a, a long time ago and, and how, I mean, Baldy's doing all this work on um, putting together our list of, or his list really of, of top 100 test cricketers and, and Shakib sort of in and around that conversation. And, you know, a lot of it is around him being, you know, so far and above other, other players for Bangladesh and, and you know, whether this is because of that, who knows, but you know, it's, it's been a tricky couple of years for him and there's certainly not going to get any easier with behavior like that. He's not winning the fans over. There's been a lot of backlash on, on social media and things. So yeah, an interesting, I, I think again, an interesting thing to, to look for in the next couple of months, because to see what comes of this, I think he's been banned for, for three games, but you know, you just realistically, you just can't behave like that on a cricket field. I mean, it's, it's just not acceptable. So yeah, we'll just see what's going to happen out of, out of all of this. Well, look, that just wraps up uh, this week in cricket because we've got lots to talk about with the World Test Championship final um, coming up at the end of the week down at the Aegeus Bowl in Southampton. So we'll be back after this swish uh, to talk England, New Zealand second test um, and leading in to that championship final. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the pod. Well, history being made in my hometown of Birmingham over at that Edge Baston test match, England versus New Zealand. New Zealand's first test series win in England since the turn of the millennium. Joe Root's first test series loss at home as captain. New Zealand returning to the top of the ICC test rankings to go alongside their number one ODI ranking as well. So guys, you must be absolutely pleased as punch. And I think we've got to start with with just how good this New Zealand outfit have been over these two test matches. Yeah, look, I mean, I've, I've been banging on about it this whole time. We've been talking about this series. I really did expect us to come over there with England kind of resting Stokes and, and Archer and Butler and or some of them being out with injury. But, you know, that New Zealand really had, this was New Zealand's opportunity to come over there and kind of show that we were, what a good test side we are. And, and you know, silence a lot of the critics that we've had with just a home team that just just wins at home and, and all this kind of stuff. And I think some of those historically, I mean, you know, before this game, I think our record in, in Australia, England, India, South Africa, I saw a stat on, on Twitter. Someone put it up. We'd played 51 games and we'd only won two of them. We'd lost 34, drawn 15. Like you said, we haven't won in England since a test series since 1999. You know, th- those are real things that have happened. And, and traditionally, New Zealand hasn't been strong away from home. But I think we've really turned the corner. We've seen that in the last few years. We're a quality test side. And I think what we're finding now, hopefully, is that that series in Australia, that was the blip. And that we're going to see around the world that New Zealand's going to compete at, at the highest level. I think, you know, what what I hope that this comes, comes of this is that we now see New Zealand get these opportunities. I think uh, we're going to play a couple of tests against India in India or you know, India hosting us somewhere after the World uh, T20 World Cup. And, I, you know, I just hope we get more tests because we deserve it. And, you know, six, six changes we made in that game. And I think if it hadn't rained, we'd have won that series 2-0. Look, I could go on, on all day. I should let someone else talk, but I'm just absolutely stoked with our performance. And I feel really vindicated for thinking that we were going to be over there and, and performing really well because 
We just haven't taken the, the foot off the gas the whole time we've been there. Yeah, a magnificent performance by New Zealand. In the lead-up uh, to this Test match on a previous podcast, we talked about some of the concern around the form of Ross Taylor. Made 80 uh, in the first innings of the Test match. Was it first innings or second innings? Can't remember. First innings. Um, and, and really first helped innings. set up uh, New Zealand's uh, lead and, and, and that victory uh, with an 80. Will Young, of course, making runs as well. For you guys who were concerned about Ross Taylor's form going into the Test match, Stu and Raj, how much does that innings alleviate some of those concerns going into the World Test Championship final? Good question, Baldy. Uh, we, do, we did say that uh, Ross Taylor wasn't our best five or six batsman. Uh, in the country, but I think it's not so much we needed it. Mm. He needed that innings. He needed that innings, and it, it really cemented his place for that World Test Championship. I think he would have played, but it really there was people starting to doubt him, just like there were people starting to doubt Man Guptill this year. Um, I was really pleased to see uh, him score those runs, and him and Will Young are actually my moment of the match in terms of I think that uh, going into the I think it was the the lunch break or the tea break, I can't remember on day two, I think it might have been the tea break, um, when Anderson and Broad were swinging the ball, there was a bit of cloud cover, Ross Taylor had just come to the crease, and they were just struggling, struggling to see the ball, struggling not to nick the ball, um, and I think that that was the moment of the match, had we lost a few wickets there, exposed our uh, lower lower order to that to those bowlers, Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Board at that time, I think it could have been a very different test, but we were able to get through that. Ross Taylor kicked on uh, and, and we put up a, a lead in the first innings, which was, which was almost enough to, to win that game. Yeah. You, could, ahead, see, you could see Ross Taylor. I, I think when it, he, when you watch him bat, it didn't, it doesn't it still didn't look fluid. And I, and I think a lot of those concerns are still there, but I, you know, I was talking to a, a friend about him, when he was struggling in the last test. And, and he reminded me that Ross Taylor hasn't been a great starter for, for a while. You know, it's, it's not that, like this is a new thing. And what I really did enjoy is once he got in, he was starting to hit the balls that were on the stumps. He was starting to hit them straight. And, and that's what he wasn't doing early on. He was hitting those balls. He was working them into the leg side, trying to hit. It, it seemed like that bat was coming across, head was falling over and everything was going to the leg side. And I think what Raj's point is is crucial that Taylor needed that. Taylor needed to to that time in the middle to I guess know that he can still do it. And I'm I'm sure he's still got that confidence. But once you start having that run of form, I you know as good as you are, I'm sure you do, do start doubting yourself. So yeah, it, it's great to see him get some runs. I I don't think you know he's back to his glittering best, but yeah, it it'll be very it's it's a very good sign that he's been out there and spent that time in the middle. Yeah, just, just to sort of pick up on that point, you're right. Ross Taylor, when he's hitting straight down the ground, he looks a bit he looks a bit iffy, and he still looked a bit iffy in, in that um, first innings. But once he started hitting the ball square, especially through the offside, uh, he started to look really good. So I, I was really, really happy for him to score those runs. Um, just also to pick up on one of your points, Slippy, there about going around, around the world and, and that Australia series being a blip, I am happy that uh, New Zealand's gone to England and performed like this because I was really surprised by the Australian tour that we had a, you know, 18 months ago. Um, and, and I'm just happy that we've gone away to, to one of the superpowers and actually performed to our best, best you know, to our fullest extent. Uh, I, think, I think they've done well. Well, things that make me proud, it was really weird. I watched a lot of that test match again and, and, it was interesting. One of the things that made me the most proud was they put up a um, a stats or schematic or stats graph there around 
or table. We'll use table uh, around uh, slips catching records for the last three yeah, years. I, saw I don't that, know yeah. if you guys saw that. And New Zealand, New Zealand was ranked first with 91% in terms of, I don't know why that makes me proud, but it does. Um, it shows that we're doing those one percenters really well. And um, yeah, only, I, I was just really- You only drop one catch in 10? Well, yeah, I guess yes, that's the case. Yeah, yes. I don't have something I, funny to say back to that. I, I think I think that's a great point, though. And, and uh, the fact it got mentioned quite a few times in commentary that New Zealand just doing the basics, you know, like we ran in, we bowled in good areas. We bowled, we, we got the ball to nibble a little around a little bit and we forced England to play bad shots. And our batsmen were a lot more patient and we were a lot more patient with the ball and the bat. And we took all our catches. You know, you talked about that Will Young and, and Ross Taylor partnership. Will Young gets caught there by Joe Root. This game's a whole different scenario. So, you know, I think I think we can be I think we can absolutely be proud of the fact that we're a team now that just goes out there, does the basics. We know our formula. We know what we have to do to win test matches, and we just go out and do it. We don't. There's no. It doesn't rely on someone bringing a match-winning performance together because we know that everyone, everyone now, you know, even look what we had six changes. So there's what 17 players that can go over there and that can just step in and do their job. And, and none of them looked out of place. None of them looked like that they were fill-ins. They all looked like, okay. I mean, I've heard AJS Patel saying, base, you know, basically now I've done all I can to push my claim for, for the World Test Championship final. There's, there's guys in there that want to be in that setup. Matt Henry is another one that deserves a, a huge amount of credit. He's someone who's, uh, you know, they banged on about it in the, um, in the commentary that he hasn't played two test matches in a row. Uh, I think Neil Wagner gave him a shout out really because he's been in and around that setup for a long time and, and bowled well and without luck at times. And, you know, he, he was averaging 50 in test cricket before then, but he just bowled in good areas and, and hit the pitch and, and got the edges and, and finally they stuck and he showed that, you know, he's someone that can contribute at that level. So, yeah, I, I think we can be super proud of the test, the test playing nation that we're becoming. Yeah, that was particularly the pleasing point for me, Stu, and you touched on it there. Six changes and three in the bowling attack. Of course, Trent Bolt, would you would think, is in New Zealand's best 11 in just about all conditions, but the guys that came in there did a fantastic job for New Zealand and put pressure on the incumbents, really. Matt Henry took three wickets in the first innings, I think, and he took a few in the second innings as well. Knocked the top off that England um, England top order as well. You know, did the damage up front, uh, which was tremendous to see from him taking the new ball, probably for the just about the only time in his career career, you would think, in that New Zealand attack. And then, of course, AJ is coming in uh, and bowling uh, New Zealand a couple of key wickets there, Joe Root in the first innings as well, you know, extracting some turn and bounce. So he did as as much as I think he could be possibly asked of him and just shows that I think, you know, it just confirms AJ Patel is is the best spinner in New Zealand and, it, and he deserves a look in in conditions that suits spin bowling. I, I really just... want to get into that selection discussion. But before we get there, Binksy, you've been very, very quiet, uh, and and for for obvious reasons. I mean, what 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 are your thoughts after this? I mean, how how you know you mentioned you, you're kicking things around in the living room. How d- disheartened are you as an England fan? Is this just a matter of you know can can England put this to down to a couple of players being out? There's actually a lot more than a couple when I started to think about it. There's there's Butler, there's Stokes, there's there's all those all-rounders, there's Curran, Wokes, Ali, you know, Archer's out as well. There are a lot of players out for England. Can it be put down to that, or, or is this a, a serious, serious problem for this England side? 
so look, the, the first thing I want to say is just caveat this, that we, we should really be talking about how good New Zealand um, were in this series and, and how well-placed they are for this World Test Championship final, first and foremost. Um, but, but look, given you've given me the spotlight, I'm, I'm certainly <laughs> going to take it and I'm certainly going to have a little bit um, of a rant. The first thing I'll say is from a batting perspective, you know, these guys, Dominic Sibley, um, Ollie Pope, Rory Burns, Zach Crawley, they're the guys that are scoring runs in county cricket consistently. So they are some of the best batsmen that we have in the county game, Dan Lawrence uh, as well. So I don't think there's really a massive argument around personnel other than a couple of the names that you've mentioned and um, the likes of Johnny Bairstow um, available to play and play in T20 blast cricket at the moment. Uh, David Milan, the number one T20 batsman in the world, at least until recently, um, playing for his county as well. You mentioned uh, Chris Wokes, uh, Sam Curran, Moen Ali. Moen Ali, remember, who was asked to stay in India to give in England a spin option. Um, and three test matches later, he's not even in a, a 20-man squad for a two-test series um, in his home country. Um, so, look, I, I think there's a lot of questions there. The biggest thing for me, though, is, is really just around the attitude of, of England. Um, we've talked about New Zealand, and New Zealand have been tremendously consistent with their selection over the course of the last um, 18 to 24, maybe even 36 months. So there is there aren't too many surprises around the 16 or 17 guys that are doing the business for you at the moment. Um, and, and you have been able to make those changes. Okay, a couple of them, um, you, would have, you would have thought Watling would have probably played if it was the World Test Championship final and Kane would have probably played as well. Um, but taking that opportunity to bring in um, Blundell um, and Young, um, you know, to, to protect them and wrap them in cotton wool so that they're definitely fit for that game. But you've then got that situation where, um, you know, you've handed our asses to us with your, you know, with your squad players. England have really disrespected New Zealand, in my view, um, with the selections that they've put in place um, for this series, um, leaving out the likes of, of Sam Curran, Chris Wokes, um, Moen Ali and, and, and Butler um, and Bairstow, who let's not forget Butler flew home um, to miss some test matches in India and um, to give folks his go as well. So uh, for me, it's the attitude. And, and certainly it seems as if some of the England former players um, are, are as annoyed at this um, as I am. Michael Vaughan, um, vehemently um, opposed to the fact that he thinks England are disrespecting Test cricket um, to focus on on white ball cricket. And the reality is, you know, we, we've got a seven Test match summer before we've got to r- worry about that white ball stuff. Um, and you take the eye off the ball on this, and you know how long it's going to take you to rebuild a side. And um, so, winning against India is an absolute pipe dream, and winning the Ashes is an absolute pipe dream. I'd be really surprised if Cricket Australia don't say, do you know what, you can have three tests. We're going to play the Kiwis in three, um, including Melbourne and Sydney um, after Christmas because you blokes just aren't going to be up to it and we ain't going to sell out um, stadiums um, because you blokes just aren't going to be much cop. Well, Adam, I I don't think it's going to come to a three-test series between England and Australia in the Ashes. But as you mentioned, a number of former England test cricketers really upset with that um, performance by England. Nasser Hussain was amongst them um, on Sky Cricket saying, you know, the England players, their technique is right. Everybody else in the history of test cricket is wrong. Um, You know, they're standing in funny places. They've got their bat out here. They're playing shots outside off stump. I mean, the the criticism was was pretty harsh from him and and others in that that England legend setup. 
Is this a problem of technique? Is this a problem of confidence and mental, mental application in test conditions? Or is this a combination of a number of things kind of culminating in that, you know, 122 for nine um, in the second innings? Yeah, look, I think it's a combination of those factors. Um, you know, Steve Smith still gets some grief about the way he bats and he's averaging, you know, six million in test cricket. Um, Devin Conway sets up quite square. Um, you know, he's not exactly a sort of classical, um, you know, side on high left elbow kind of batter. No, you know, no one's really sort of making too many comments about that. So. I think it is a little bit about how many runs you score. Um, and when you're not scoring runs, then, you know, it's natural to be able to look at technique and, and talk about that. Um, but, you know, when we look at some of the greatest players in the game, um, you know, they've had some idiosyncrasies and some uniqueness in the way that they um, they have their technique. The worrying factor for me is we've got so many backroom staff now um, that are involved. We've got, you know, ironically got a spin bowling coach in Jeetan Patel. Who's he coaching? Because we haven't played a spinner for this, this summer yet. Um, and look, I think they're now saying, oh, the players have got to work this out themselves. And, you know, they've got to go and find a method that works for them. Um, for me, I think they need to be getting a little bit more direction um, as to how to construct that inning. So I think it, it is more of a mental than a technical thing. Um, but look, when you're not scoring runs, then, you know, your technique is there to be, to be ripped to shreds, I think. Yeah, I think uh, Baldy, when we were talking off here, summed it up well. He said there was a bit emotional from from Nasser saying the way he sort of approached that that comment. Uh, and you know that that's fair enough. He can he can be like that. It shows he's got some passion for for the game and for his team. Uh, I I think it was a little bit unwarranted. I think that you know you look at guys like Rory Burns. He probably uses Rory Burns in that in that analogy or the way he's talking about uh, the English batting setup, but. He 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 batted really well. I thought in the whole in the whole series, he was a real really the only one in the English team who who looked in any sort of form. Uh, one one thing I noticed in the sort of wash up from that was that Joe Burns and uh, sorry Joe Root and Rory Burns they also mentioned a lot around you know the rhythm rhythm of of Test cricket batting and, and things like that. And I, I don't know if I've, I've never me personally I haven't heard that term before around batting or batting in, in test match cricket. I know it ebbs and flows and stuff like that, but uh, the rhythm, it's just a new way to look at batting in test cricket. And I think you're 100% right, Binksy, saying that it's all mental and how you mentally approach that game. You look at that New Zealand team, there, there's, a, there's a whole lot of people in there that people around the world or players, people around the world haven't even heard of before. I was showing Stu um, a blog the other day, an Indian cricket blog, where they were talking about who, who, who the hell Devin Conway is. And then if you look through the, the comments on that, everyone's talking about how we're going to get him out because it's incredible to see that kind of stuff focused around one player. But I don't think that there's a massive issue with the English batting skill. I think the skill is there. I think it's the way that they're applying themselves. Uh, needs to needs to be have have a look at yeah for me and I know that this is this is going to come in uh, come as a comment that was you know unsolicited but for me it feels like England England's batters haven't quite figured out how to release the pressure on themselves when they're batting um, Dom Sibley in particular for me personifies he just seems to get stuck he's not quite able to work the ball into the gaps and release the pressure that that Test bowlers are able to apply to him and he did really well to kind of be dogged in that first inning uh, in the second innings I think it was of the first Test where he got kind of 50 in that draw but that to me seems to be the the kind of plan A for Dom Sibley and he doesn't quite have a, do- a plan B and those other players 
players like Crawley and like Lawrence and Pope, they're just so used to feeling the bat on the ball. They're so used to playing strokes that when they're restricted by good bowling and bowling in good channels and, and players like Neil Wagner who are always at you, they just feel like they don't have that release and that way of releasing the pressure and getting themselves off strike into the other end. Yeah, look, I really think that a lot of this comes back to, you know, the points you guys have made around that the the skill is there for these guys. And and I just feel like, you know, Binksy, you mentioned it earlier on about, you know, are England kind of disrespecting Test cricket? And I feel like they actually are. And I feel like actually it's rubbing off on the players. That that bowling innings where England was trying to, you know, not really trying to defend 38, you can't really do that in many circumstances, but that final innings of the the game, you could see how frustrated Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad, it looked like they were going to just start, just kick off and, and get, they were so angry. And I, I've never really seen them act like that. I mean, Stuart Broad has his moments, but Jimmy in particular, it, his face was just a, a cloud of fury, I thought. And it feels to me like you're not really giving those guys the opportunity that you can, there's, there's one thing between, prioritizing your t- uh, winning these world cups and, and win you know, winning the T20 world cup. And, and I can completely understand that there's also, you know, giving people their, their mental health and, and making sure that people can, you know, perform at their best at all times. But this has just been a completely haphazard way to do it. And, and I think you've mentioned it before about how it seemed like they're just picking off a spreadsheet and it doesn't feel like, they're a cohesive unit at all to me when I watch them. The dropping catches, it just doesn't feel like they're a winning side, and 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 I think that just feels like the biggest problem in English cricket right now. And it, and it's not not easy to do if you're not going to actually prioritize this. And you know we might see it in this five test series against India because that is a time where that squad will get together and and they'll be able to actually just focus on that. But yeah. I, that's that's the biggest concern for me. Yeah, look, I'll just make two points in follow-up and I'll pick up on a, a point Raj made first about ebb and flow. The, the problem is there's no, you know, there's no ebb in England's innings. So, you know, they don't deserve the opportunity to flow um, because you, you have to be able to, to kind of guts it out. Uh, if I look at that, you know, the second point, and, and I'll make this in two ways, that, that those England bowlers... In a in a spell, I think when the ball just actually came alive, that I think England changed the ball at, at one point. Um, and Will Young, Ross Taylor, Devon Conway had to you know see off um, you know a really really good spell for a period of time, and they just they just went. Do you know what? They're allowed to bowl well at us for twelve overs. We're going to play a miss. We might you know we might sort of inside edge the odd one the ball's going to beat the bat but we, we're just going to actually stick this out so that we earn the right when the ball goes soft again and these guys have got to change it up that we're there to score you know score runs again and i've got to say i think the bowlers got england back in that game new zealand from where were they like three for 230 or something like that and they should have probably got 450 um, and for, for England to actually peg it back and be in a position where if they'd have batted anywhere like they could have put a little bit of pressure on um, they, you know, they didn't, uh, you know, they didn't do it. So look, I, I think that, you know, that's why you, you probably saw a little bit of that frustration. Um, but I think particularly in Australia, the ball is going to fly past the outside edge for a period of time and you're going to have to ride your look. And when that kookaburra goes soft, that's when you've got to really make people pay. I um, mean, if, if you don't earn the right to do that, um, you're going to be in a bit of trouble. And it, look, England haven't earned the right to do that. 
and I think their selections have meant that they um, have also, uh, you know, in my view, really, really deprioritized what I think should be the pinnacle of the game. Binksy, did uh, did you want to say something about uh, James Bracey's series? Yeah. So look, the, the overarching emotion I've got for James Bracey is um, I feel really sorry for him. Um, he, you know, had been around the the bubble for for the whole winter, um, ostensibly as top order batting cover. Um, by my reckoning, he's probably the sixth or seventh keeper um, that should be even getting a mention. And, and to be honest, that's probably um, doing him a favour. You've got um, Ben Folks, you've got Johnny Bairstow, you've got Joss Butler, um, you've got a, a number of other guys, Ben Cox at Worcestershire, all ahead of him in the pecking order. And to ask him to make his test debut at Lords, which is a notoriously difficult ground um, to keep wicket at. You've got the slope, um, which wrong foots you a little bit. You've got wobble after it's come through. And you've got probably two bowlers that if you're talking about wobble after the ball's pitched um, and hit the seam, Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson, those are probably two guys you don't want to be keeping to in those um, conditions. And then he's down the order um, at seven. So, Batting-wise, I don't really think we know a great deal more about whether James Brace is going to cut the mustard. Um, but I, I actually think this has probably set the lad back a couple of years because I, I can't see how he gets back in quickly um, after having um, looked two, you know, two performances that really must have sapped his, his confidence. But again, to answer your question, Raj, it's just so unfair to make the lad come in and keep wicket because um, at times in those two test matches, he didn't look like he'd done it before. Lad, soft signal has reared its head again. Uh, umpiring controversies in both innings, actually. Ross Taylor uh, claiming a catch that then he immediately referred to the third umpire. Um, and then in New Zealand's innings, uh, Stuart Broad bowling. And I think, I can't remember if it was Crawley who took the catch, but one of the England slippers took a catch and it was then referred with a soft signal of not out. Uh, and then there was insufficient evidence to overturn that decision. Uh, the batter remained not out. And then we saw Stuart Broad uh, gesticulating to the umpire afterwards that the hand was underneath the ball. So that concept of foreshortening of, of 2D images in a 3D world has reared its ugly head again. Lads, is, is this the time that we need to have that debate once and for all about soft signal and whether or not it deserves a place in test cricket moving forward? So I, I'll have first stab at this. I guess I, I, I actually like a soft signal. Uh, that's probably the, a contrast to most people around the world. Um, I like the fact that they're making a decision, uh, especially when it's not possible or it's possible that the review won't give mm -hmm. a clear-cut decision. I think that the people on the field uh, probably have a better view than the person sitting behind a, a camera if, if, if they can't, if, if it's not clear-cut. Uh, like a run-out, for example, is very clear-cut. You don't need to make a soft signal for that. You can tell easily whether they'll run out or not uh, from reviewing the footage. Uh, I think in, also in this instance, uh, which which I, I think is being missed a little bit, is the fact that, uh, was it um, was it Goff, who was the third umpire? Uh, Goff, he, he, he did say, uh, clearly, in this frame, the ball is grounded. So I feel like even if they had given that the soft signal is out, he, he would have referred it based mm. on what he said during during the review. So I, I don't know if it would have made that much of a, a, a difference in this case. Stuart? Yeah, look, I, I think that's, that's the one thing that's been missed out of this whole... Uh, this whole discussion and, and it, it, it blew up and everyone said, you know, we should get rid of soft signal and things, but 
it, it's actually got nothing. I, I think in this particular case, it doesn't change the the need for the discussion, perhaps, but it doesn't change the fact that in this case, he he clearly said, like you said, Raj, got Michael Goff said the ball has touched the quite clearly touched the ground there. It's not out, and it, you know if you if you don't agree with that, then that's something completely different to we don't like the soft signal. I, I don't think those two things uh, are quite the same, but. Yeah, Binksy, I know you you want to say something about the soft signal. I guess my only point personally is just that, yeah, sometimes you don't know. So there's going to have to be some situation where if you don't know, maybe you do throw it back to the umpires or, or some, there's going to have to be something where someone at least makes a decision because the TV's not always going to be able to do it. Yeah, so look, I guess Michael Goff, I think, was watching different footage to the rest of us because I'm not sure, having watched that a million times, whether you can clearly say that the ball um, is grounded. But taking this particular incident um, out of the equation, that the catch that Zach Crawley quite clearly um, took cleanly, um, I, I think what we've got to uh, what we've got to look at here is there's just an inconsistency, I think, with with the way that this works. Um, I've heard a couple of things said and, and a couple of things to maybe throw out there. One is that the umpires on the field can actually say, I'm not sure on the soft signal. So they can actually say, do you know what? I don't have an out or not out. Um, I just really need you to look at the footage um, and, and whether that's, you know, whether that's an option. And look, this sounds super romantic as well. Um, but I think sometimes you just got to take the fielder and, and just go, yeah, I've caught that cleanly, mate. Um, and look, you're probably going to get the odd one that someone claims on the half volley. They'll never be trusted again. Um, you know, so a batter's just going to kind of stand their ground if, you know, if that happens. Um, but look, I, I think um, it's a difficult one because Richard Kettleborough, Richard Illingworth and Michael Goff have all played first-class cricket. Um, and, and I think it, it seemed to me um, that they've forgotten um, that they've, you know, that they've played first-class cricket because a, pl- a player will often kind of know and feel. And I think you saw the reactions around that particular catch. Nobody really, you know, was kind of doing that, you know, the Ross Taylor gesticulation of, I'm not sure, let's have a look. They all seem pretty confident. And, and I think sometimes you, you take that sort of reaction um, and, and that tells a bigger story than, um, as Michael rightly refers to it, you know, 2D images in a 3D world. Look, that, that's probably enough on this. I mean, the, let's move to, to something more positive and, and back, bring it back to New Zealand here. I guess looking towards the World Test Championship final, I mean, we've talked about what, a, what an impressive performance that was from New Zealand. What that now has led to is that we've just got a bunch of selection dilemmas. There's a bunch of people sticking their hand up for, the, for that game. The, the biggest one and the biggest push, at least on social media and and even uh, just in the, the general media, seems to be the call for Ajaz to play, and and whether that's going with the four the four out and out seamers and Ajaz, and having Jameson bat at seven, or actually leaving one of those seamers out. I, I personally, I don't know who you'd who you'd leave out, but doing that and then playing Ajaz and and having your De Gronholm or, or whatever at seven seem to be the two lines of of thinking. Uh, my the question I have for you guys, and, and I don't know if anyone is firmly in the Ajaz must play camp. I, I 100% agree with you, what you said, Baldy. He is our number one spinner. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind. I love having a spinner in the side. Do, do But can you guys tell me, do you think that spin for New Zealand is actually going to play a significant role in this game if we are going to win it? Good question. Uh, I I think that 
I think that it will not. I think the game will be determined by how penetrating the uh, the fast bowlers are for us. Bolt, Southey and Wagner, who I think that those three will definitely be there, in my opinion. Uh, and you'd be hard-pressed to leave Jameson out. But I, I think that if those guys can't get 15 of the 20 wickets that we need, I don't think that spin is going to help us get the, you know, make up for that, if you know what I mean. We have to do 75% of the job with the ball from from those pace bowlers. That, that's their job to, to do that. My, my point on, on Ajaz Patel is I found it very interesting that uh, the way he bowled in this test, series, uh, test match, um, I'd be interested to get your point of view on it, Lippy. I think that he bowled a different length and speed to what he has been bowling, even in the New Zealand domestic scene, which has got him into this position. I feel like he was really flighting it and bowling a more attacking length, whereas previously he's been flat and sort of been that bowler who, who gets through the overs and holds up one end. I feel like if he bowls the, the length he was bowling to the English, a Rohit Sharma, a Virat Kohli is going to come down the wicket and, and have a go at him. And he's going to go back to that, that, length or that, that type of bowling he was bowling before. I don't think that how he bowled in this test match is how he can bowl to the Indians. Yeah, look, I'll pick up on your point there. I mean, you know, we we did see it. You know, I'm not going to I'm I'm not going to get in, get stuck into AJ's here because I think he did a, a tremendous job and and I think he's done a tremendous job. You know, every time he's really played for New Zealand, he's done exactly what we've asked of him. He's been able to win us some tests uh, overseas and things. But I I, I tend to agree in that in Indian, the Indian batsmen, right? They, they're the, the class players of playing spin. And you know, even saw it in that England innings when uh, I think it was wood and stone and things came down the wicket to him. And we were able to hit some boundaries and things. And, you know, I, I just feel like picking up on your point that our best way to win this, and I've said it all along, and I think our best way to win this game is to pick up 20 wickets with our seamers. I, you know, there's there's a bit of weather around at the moment. I, I, I can completely see this balance of the side and, and all of that kind of stuff. In my head, I've been going through, actually, should we just play the four seamers and pick an extra batsman? Pick Will Young at six or seven uh, and, and then push Watling down to seven? Because, you know, you, you, we're debating, really, in my head, we're debating who's the fifth bowler. We're not, we're not debating a, a key part of our bowling attack. As, as much as, you know, as much as it does provide balance, we've been able to win tests over the past 12 months, 18 months, been able to win tests with this four-pronged pace attack. And, and I think we should still go for that. But Baldy, I know that you have uh, pretty strong thoughts that Ajaz should be in this test. Make the case for me. Well, I think weather's going to play a big part. If it is going to be rainy in the build-up, and if we're going to come to day one and the wicket is green and, and going to you know be a bit English and move about a bit, I can fully expect that de Grandholm will play and they'll play four-seamers because that then gives, it gives New Zealand the best chance of skittling India on day one and day two with their pace attack and then having to chase a small total at the end. I think if we come to you know the Aegeus Bowl and it's dry, it's a little bit dusty and it's likely to take turn on day four or day five, there's only one player that can bowl spin and bowl in New Zealand to victory in, in the final, and that's AJ's Patel. Mitchell Santner took three wickets against England in the test match here uh, at home a couple of years ago. That was his probably his best bowling performance uh, for New Zealand and, and you know went a long way to winning them the test match. But I think it's a tough ask to ask Mitchell Santner to bat at seven and then perform that duties for them against probably the best side 
you know, playing spin uh, that we've seen in a long, long time. So if there's going to be one guy that can do it, it's AJS Patel. But I think the weather will be will play an important role in whether or not New Zealand will consider him. If you're going to play um, four bowlers, do you need a fifth seamer? That would be my question. The, the only thing that's going to stop New Zealand from picking him is that they can't drop Wagner, Southey, uh, Bolt or, or Jamison. I mean, I would hate to be the person that knocks on either Neil Wagner's or Kyle Jamison's door the night before the test match and say, look, hey, mate, we're going to go with Ajaz and you're going to carry the drinks in the final. I, I think that's a very, very tough call to make. And, and I can't make that decision. I actually can't separate Neil Wagner and Kyle Jamison as one of the two players to leave out of the side. And I think that's the way that the selectors will go in the end. But, you know, in the fourth innings, if it's going to spin, the guy who's going to bowl potentially New Zealand to victory could be AJ's Patel, and I think it'll be really harsh to leave him out, but it's going to be equally harsh to have to leave out either Wagner or, or, or Jamison. What's, what's really crystallised in my mind watching AJ's bowl is that we can't pick Mitchell Santner. I, I think that that is really the decision, and I, I've, I know I've been talking, we talked to DJ from Edges and Sledges, we talked to the guys from Gully Cricket, and I've been saying every time people ask me, you know, who's who's New Zealand going to pick uh, to bat seven, and, and this all rounder discussion, I've been saying, oh, I think they'll pick Mitchell Santner. But watching AJ's bowl, I just you, you can't do that because he doesn't offer you Mitchell Santner to me doesn't offer you now enough with the bat to to justify the downgrade that he would be in the spin option with the ball. So I just feel like if we're going to go all out and go for our seam attack, we pick De Gronholm or we pick or we just pick a, the best who we think's going to bat the best, and we pick Mitchell or we pick Young or whoever we want to pick, but we just go all out that this is how we're going to win the game and this is what we're going to do. If we pick Mitchell Santner, I, I think there'll be a lot of fans that just sort of grow. I don't think, I think that I don't think we want to be disrespecting Mitchell Santner and, and the comments that you've made to are not disrespectful to Mitchell Santner in, in respect that, you know, Daryl Mitchell is a better batsman. Colin de Gronholm is probably a slightly better batsman and, and offers, you know, a little bit of wobble and, and, and seam. So they all offer different things. Mitchell Santner is a terrific one day white ball bowler because he's so tight and has such tremendous control. But I don't think he offers that attacking variety, that ability to spin the ball past the bat and extract bounce like he dismissed Root with that would be able to bowl New Zealand to victory like AJ's potentially could. Adam. Yeah, look, the thing for me, it's pretty clear having seen all the permutations now. And I think I'd have probably been leaning Santner before the, the series just because of, of that sort of, I guess, adage of, of providing a little bit of balance and a few overs of spin. But I think picking up on Lippy's point, for me now, what it's about is who's going to give you greater options um, through the course of that test match. And what's clear to me now is I don't see how you can play Mitchell or DeGrandholm to give you a, a fifth seeming option. If you aren't going to win against India with the four seamers that you're undoubtedly going to pick now. Um, well, I'll say the four seamers you're undoubtedly going to pick. You, you're going to leave out man of the match, Matt Henry. Um, so, you know, th there's some other permutations. I'm sure that that is not where they're going to go. And we'll, look, we're going to know a little bit more tonight, aren't we? Because they're going to name a 15-man squad for this World Test Championship final um, tonight. So I think we'll know who's going to be potentially missing out. For me, I'm leaning towards the fact that they've they've got to pick um, Ajaz, and probably that means that uh, obviously Jameson bumps up to seven, and that's the little gamble. But that then gives you an ability to take 20 wickets 
Um, and, and look, I think he d- does offer you a wicket-taking um, option. If you look at wickets taken at that ground, it's a really, really small sample size. But Jimmy Anderson, um, and uh, not not surprisingly, top of the charts. But second is Moen Ali, 17 wickets at 15 um, at that ground. But you've got to go down um, to Ravi Jadeda, who's only played one game there, and to get your next spinner, he took five wickets at 41. Um, and then you're going even further down the list to find anybody that averages less than 40 with the ball as a spinner, actually. Um, so, you know, Yasha Shah, we talked about on the last pod, had a, you know, a, a pretty torrid time there. Um, two wickets for 173. Don Best, let's uh, not go there. Um, Joe Root averaging 11 and Fouad uh, Alam uh, 23 as well. So, uh, look, I, I think that those stats probably don't tell you the whole story. It's dry. And the groundsman said he thinks that the, the, the pitch is going to take a bit of spin on days four and five um, and probably a little bit of up and down as well. Um, so, for me, Ajaz has got to play. Just, I guess, from my point with the Mitchell Santner chat is, I don't know why, but he fills me with a bit of confidence when it comes to being a bit clutch. Like, if you want someone to to take that shot in game seven with five seconds on the clock, you don't pass it to Michael Jordan, you pass it to the Steve Kerr to take that last shot. Um, you, you, I don't know, I feel like he's, he's got Robert that Hurry. sort of calm... calm calmness about him they're, 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 like for example in that Pakistan there was a Pakistan test wasn't it where he needed that last wicket and he got it the last we need one wicket five overs to go bowlers have bowled for you know 20 30 overs in the innings uh give him the ball he might get your wicket I, I just think that he has that sort of bottle a little bit to him um yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough one I'm looking forward to that 15 minutes who do you think India up. would rather play De Gronholm, Santner, Ajaz or Mitchell? Who do we think? Who do India I think? would rather see play? Like who are India sitting there going? Well, I, it would be nice if they picked someone. Mitchell, De Grandholm, Santner, Ajaz. I, I, I actually, I and and I, I actually think that they don't mind, and I and I actually think that's kind of to me why none of this is worth getting too wound up about. I, I know I have kind of just gone on a big rant and said that I, I can't see how they can play Santner and you know, there's been so much discussion about who we should pick and all this kind of stuff. And, and I, yeah, absolutely what you said before. I don't, I don't want to disrespect Mitchell Santner. I, I actually agree with Raj and that he's, he's actually come through and certainly in some white ball situations, he, he does, he actually does have that little thing that he does come through in those big moments. But, you know, we're talking about our seventh best batsman and our fifth best bowler. And, and I, I don't think for New Zealand to win, that those players are going to be the crucial ones. You know, I, I think what we've what we've done in New Zealand in the New Zealand side at the moment is we've built a side that whoever comes in in that position will fill their role and that they'll be able to do that role really well. And it, whether that comes down to the pitch and you know De Gronholm they want to have maybe in there so that he can bash thirty or forty, take a game away from from uh, you know up the pace for New Zealand and and nibble it around with the bat. Do they want a Mitchell to kind of be a more specialist batsman? Do they want the the Santner to give them a bit of both? And do they want Ajaz Patel to just go all out with the ball? I think whoever it is at the end of the day, as fascinating as it is and, and as an interesting discussion as it is, I, I think they'll all do a good job, whoever comes in. I think we've talked a lot of selection 
um, now. I guess just before we move on, and we, we will um, play the chat uh, with DJ from Edges and Sledges uh, very shortly as well. Anyone you, you're really worried about or, or conversely looking forward to watching from the Indian side? And we'll go for um, succinct answers to this one. And I'll start with you, Baldy. Uh, I'm looking forward to either who, who India are going to pick between Mohammed Shami and Mohammed Siraj. That that selection battle for that last seam spot is going to be um, one that I'm really looking forward to seeing who they who they choose. Raj? For me, uh, I actually i am really looking forward to the new ball battle of Devin Conway and the Indian Pacers. I think it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to give each, either team, whichever, if the bowlers win or Devin Conway wins, uh, that battle, it'll give the, the rest of the team a very, very big leg up. So I'm looking forward to that battle. And, and I'm just terrified of Ravi Jadeja. Uh, I feel like uh, new, new, there's a... There's a scenario where New Zealand comes in, knocks the top off that innings, and then we we think we're on top, and uh, Rishabh Pant and Ravi Jadeja just put on this massive partnership, and then Jadeja comes in in the the fourth innings or something and, and spins them to victory. Yeah, he, he's the he's the one out of all the quality players they have. He he's the one that I don't know. It just feels like he always does something special, or you know, takes a brilliant catch, or just yeah, he he's the one that fills me with dread. I, I hope that in some scenario, they decide to just go with the four seamers and, and uh, just play Ashwin. Yeah, look, for, for me, um, look, I, I think all the players that you've mentioned, but I'm also really looking forward to seeing Rashad Pant. Um, I think he's absolutely box office. Um, and I think that he's not going to take a backward step against um, that New Zealand bowling attack. And if the pitch does have a little bit of pace and carry, which is what the groundsman is saying, um, yeah, I really want to see that pace and carry and, uh, and Rishabh Pant um, with a free flow um, of the bat. In terms of the game, we're going to be seeing it, I think, on Sky Sports here in New Zealand. So kicks off um, on the 18th um, of June um, down in Southampton, the Aegeus Bowl. Normally a ground with about 6,500 um, capacity, but they add some temporary seating, which takes it up to... Um, nearly 20,000, but I believe they're only letting something like uh, 25 to 30% of the um, available um, capacity in due to COVID restrictions still being um, in place, but it will be better than that piped in um, atmosphere. We are going to hear now from DJ from the Edges and Sledges um, podcast. We were lucky enough um, to join them on their show to preview things from a New Zealand perspective um, and vice versa. Um, So you're going to hear... Uh, a little chat we recorded earlier in the week with DJ from the Edges and Sledges podcast now. Welcome back to the pod. Joining us now from the Edges and Sledges podcast. It's a very warm welcome to DJ, uh, one of the hosts of the eponymous Edges and Sledges podcast. Thanks for joining us to give us an Indian point of view on that World Test Championship final. To, to set the scene, DJ, and look, we risk losing any Indian listeners that we have here because my notes say that you guys have held this number one ranking fairly consistently since 2016. But when we think about this particular team, it's better than a one that included Saywag, Dravid, Tendulkar, Ganguly and Laxman. And so at the risk of everyone switching off um, already when listening from, uh, listening from India, this current team really feels so much more balanced than even some of those great Indian sides. And um, yeah, uh, thanks for having me firstly, guys. It's a pleasure being on your podcast. Um, I think you're right. I mean, um, the 
the great Indian side of the 2000s uh, was slightly lopsided with the batting uh, doing most of the um, uh, dominating most of the discourse with uh, Sachin, uh, Lakshman, Ganguly, Sehwag, Dravid, of course. And the bowlers didn't quite, I mean, they won us some test matches, but to be able to take 20 wickets regularly has been a stated aim of Indian cricket for a little while now. And uh, the bowlers that emerged under Dhoni, the um, Umesh Yadavs, the Ishan Sharmas, the Mohammad Shamis have now matured under Kohli. And Kohli backs his pacers, he backs his bowlers, and uh, he's basically groomed a side which can take 20 wickets on any surface. And that has been the difference between the sides of the 2000s and the um, side that we're seeing playing the World Test Championship final now. And I guess a, a bit of a cheeky question. Um, we were talking prior to, to recording about um, the big three in international cricket, um, obviously being, unfortunately, those pesky Aussies, um, yourselves and, and my home nation, um, England. How much does this World Test Championship final mean to India and, and to Indian fans? Because you do have those sort of marquee series against um you know, Australia in the Border Basket Trophy and England as well. So is it as important, do you think, to, to India as it is to New Zealand? I think it means a hell of a lot. I think, uh, again, uh, to go back to what Kohli said in the press, he says, test cricket is the pinnacle of cricket and this is the pinnacle of the pinnacle, so to speak. And it's something, you, you have a two-year cycle, you've got to be consistent, you've got to win a lot of games, you've got to win away as well. So, to put all this into context, the Border Gavaskar Trophy that took place over the Australian summer, um, every game assumed an increased significance as India inched towards the World Test Championship final and Australia ebbed away from it almost. Even the draw at Sydney, the famous draw where Ashwin and Vihari batted out, I think 40 overs at the end, to in, in the larger scheme of things made such a big difference because it was one game less that Australia had won and one game um, more that India had drawn. And then that carried over into the England series, where which is another massive, um, it's a marquee series for India, but you could see how badly India wanted to win that series. The, the pitches they prepared, the cricket that they played um, was all geared towards making the World Test Championship final. And I mean, you could see it all over social media. It was it was on fire, and it means it means a lot to the fans. We haven't won an ICC trophy, um, and when I say we, I mean Indian cricket fans haven't seen their team win an ICC trophy since 2013. We've made a lot of semi-finals, as the Kiwis well know, um, and we made a <laughs> final which we lost to Pakistan. So um, it's been eight years since India's won an ICC trophy. So this means a lot to Indian fans and I think to Indian cricketers. I mean, there's a lot of questions around Kohli's captaincy. If he can win the first World Test Championship final or lift the trophy, um, if it's a draw, some of those will hopefully be put to bed. And running through India's road to the final, I'm sure the mind games are going to start over the course of next week or so with who's got the momentum leading into um, this World Test Championship final. But... Look, so impressive in that run-up, losing just two, um, yeah, two, a couple of test matches, one in that Indian tour that you've mentioned, one in the England tour. But um, the, the other sort of negative factor is that 2-0 loss to New Zealand in uh, 2020. How much is that going to play on the mind of the Indian 
team or, or is that is that irrelevant because of the location and the location of this game coming up? Um, so I think there will be. So I, I do think New Zealand hold a psychological edge over over India, having again I keep going back to 2019, the World Cup, India being knocked out of there. It, it's still deep in the psyche of the Indian fan and the Indian cricketer, I suspect. And and a lot of these guys have played uh, played limited overs as well. So Rohit, Kohli, um, uh, a lot of the bowlers, Bumrah, Jadeja, Ashwin, all of these guys were were part of that. Ashwin maybe not, but. Jadeja was part of that squad and played very well in that game. So I think starting with that, then going into the um, New Zealand tour where someone like Colin de Grandom is dismissed, uh, who was the best batsman in the world at the time, Virat Kohli. Um, so there are some mental scars that the Indians will need to overcome. But since then, since then, I think there's a lot of positivity that the Indian cricket team has seen the um, the... There was the win at in the Boxing Day Test match. There was a win at the Gabba. There was the uh, England, uh, the win against England at home. So I, I think there's they'll take away a lot of positives from that. So and that again is more recent than losing to New Zealand either in in Test cricket or in ODI cricket. So um, I think there is a slight mental edge for the New Zealanders, but that I think will last as long as. Uh, no cricket is played. The moment they're on the field, it's uh, it's a new game, and um, everyone starts starts from zero, right? So, um, yeah, I think New Zealand hold a slight edge on on that front. We touched on our appearance on your podcast, DJ, uh, around New Zealand having two Test matches in England prior to the World Test Championship final as a a warm up, if you like, or, or match practice, whatever you want to call it. Is there any concern for you as an Indian fan about the fact that New Zealand have had a more recent build-up to that World Test Championship final and India are coming in a little bit cold after a bit of a hiatus from the IPL? So um, New Zealand have done really well to schedule those two test matches. I think they were scheduled at the last minute to, to um, uh, uh, probably some commercial reasons going on behind that. But they did well to schedule that before the uh, World Test Championship final. Um, but then I sort of think of that... So, so in theory, there should be an edge. Um, again... Because you've, you're in the cauldron of Test cricket, you're uh, playing in front of crowds, you're bowling those spells, you're you're in the rhythm of the game. But um, I I wonder a little bit whether it's almost lulling New Zealand into a false sense of complacency. With you're playing an English side which isn't quite up at the same level as as an Indian side. I mean, if you look at that batting lineup, there are very few people. That, I think there's one person in that. English lineup that averages more than 40, and that's Joe Root at 48. Everyone else is in the mid-30s. It's not quite a Pujara, Rohit, Kohli, Rahane, Rishabh Pant type of lineup, is it? It's It doesn't instill that fear. Yes, you get into the rhythm of Test cricket, but um, with the strength that the Indian team have in the squad, as we saw in Australia, I think the warm-up games that they're playing in Southampton uh, and on and around the ground, may actually allow them to get used to the conditions on the ground a little bit more than uh, New Zealand who are, who are sort of running around uh, London for a little while at Lords and then they were running around, they're currently running around Birmingham. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think there's a massive edge, although I think Ravi Ashwin has come out and said that New Zealand do have the edge after playing more test cricket recently. Um, again, as I say, um, once once that coin goes up and the first ball is bowled, it, it's all to play for and um, 
um, it's just the mind games that Adam's Adam mentioned at, mm. at, at the uh, start of the show. Yeah, they've started to become already uh, prevalent in the in the lead up. Ravi Shastri, of course, uh, already preparing his excuses by saying it should be a three test series to decide the the champions. I mean, how concerned do you think Ravi Shastri and the Indian coaching setup are about this match? Really, uh, do they think they've got everything well in hand, hand, or do you think there's some concern there that New Zealand might punch them in the nose early on in that test match? I think there's there's a serious concern and. I, uh, one of my co-podcasters on our show com- came up with the fact that India lose the first test of almost every series they play. They lost in Australia. They lost in Eng- uh, they lost against England in India. So they are notoriously sp- slow starters on that front. And you've only got one game. So uh, maybe you are right that uh, they are preparing their excuses <laughs> in advance. And um, I, I think they are. There's genuine worry in the Indian camp. Um, about this New Zealand team. They are a class outfit. There's a golden era of New Zealand cricket that's ongoing. You've got world-class performers like Williamson, Ross Taylor, uh, Trent Bolt, Saudi, Jameson. I mean, Jameson's new, but you can already see he's going to go on to become one of the best all-rounders in the world. And I think they evenly match sides and um, it, it could, it's anyone's game. It's all to play for at the moment. So um, there is worry in that Indian camp. But there is a little bit of sense to having three test matches, I think, as well. And maybe in the next cycle, when hopefully COVID's no longer an issue and things like that, you, you can have a three test series so fans can really enjoy watching um, watching uh, these two teams uh, face off against each other. How are we going to fit in three IPLs a year if we're going to have a three test uh, World Test Championship final? Though? That's, I guess that's the, the million dollar question, or well, the $250 million question, probably. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, we, we're now doing half and half. So we're doing the first half of the IPL in the, in the first half of the year and we're doing the second half in October, apparently. So, um, yeah, we, we'll find a window for test cricket somewhere in the midst of that. But, I mean, jokes apart, um, it is scheduling is just such a challenge these days. And so you guys have had the New Zealand versus England games to watch, whereas Indian fans have sort of been starved of Indian cricket, which I don't actually mind that much because it allows you to build the anticipation sort of like the 90s where you had months without cricket and then you you all of a sudden had a series and you actually remembered what happened in every game. So, um, yeah, um, very much looking forward to this. The anticipation is building. I'm hoping to be there for days one and two in Southampton, which um, um, should be great. I think they're allowing 25% of the uh, capacity in. Um, so, yeah, um, really looking forward to this uh, this game. As an Australian, that uh, Brisbane test still gives me cold sweats and I wake up uh, having nightmares on a, on a weekly basis. For that Indian side, do you think that Brisbane test puts to bed the theory, that, the theory that India can't win away, India can't play away from home? You mentioned uh, India having a poor track record in the first test of the series. Surely that Australian series gives India confidence now that they can win in all conditions, that they've got a batting lineup like with Rishabh Pant and and Kohli and Pujara that can thrive in all sorts of conditions and under various circumstances. How much do you think they actually take away from that uh, in terms of confidence coming into this World Test Championship final? I think a lot, but uh, I think the Australian question was put to bed the first time they won the the trophy in 2018-2019, um, the Border Gavaskar Trophy uh, down under. Um, I, I don't know... Whether the, I mean, it gives you a lot of positive feeling, of course, winning a, a test series in Australia. 
but the conditions in England are likely to be quite different. I mean, Australia has good batting tracks all the way into day five. It doesn't seem around as much. There's a bit more bounce. Um, India haven't done well historically in England. They just or New Zealand. I mean, they, I think the last series we won in in New Zealand was 2009, where Gambhir batted out for about 10 hours to win win a game. Um, but England, we've consistently lost every Test series. We we lost four one the last time we were here. Um, in 2018, we lost three one in 2014. We lost four zero in 2011. So, English conditions are not conditions that Indians particularly enjoy at the moment or this team. So this team hasn't got an experience of winning a test series in England. And I think that's that's going to count against them a little bit. They, they do have momentum and good memories on their side with, with Rishabh Pant's performance, Rishabh Pant, Gil, Pujara, everyone contributed right in, in that series. But mm. I think... Um, the worry will be the conditions. The Duke's ball, the Kookaburra is different, of course, in, in Australia. Um, so, yeah, um, again, I think they'll take confidence out of it, but they'll still be worried about the conditions in England. Maybe I'm sounding too pessimistic about India's chances already. <laughs> well, let's get into the squad. I mean, many of the names uh, that you've mentioned already are, are locked into place on that team sheet at the moment. Before we get into who you think will, will be part of that squad... How many spots do you think are genuinely up for grabs in that Indian side at the moment? Um, you know, how many spots and what roles do you think are, are being discussed at the selection table in the lead-up to this match? So I, I actually think there's two spots that are up for debate. Uh, the first one being the second opener. I think Rohit has cemented himself as uh, the first choice opener. And he's just such a class act. To have Rohit Sharma opening the batting and then followed by a Pujara, Kohli and Rahane is, is a formidable lineup, right? But who partners him? Now, that's the question. Now, um, if you'd come out of the Australian tour in December, you would have said Shubman Gill bats really nicely, scored 91 in the last game, scored 45 on debut at, on the Boxing Day test, got the temperament for it looks like a, a test cricketer. But he hasn't quite sealed that spot. He hasn't scored 100 as yet in test cricket. Didn't have a great series against England, but then uh, other than Rohit, nobody really scored any runs against England. Um, so that spot will be up for debate. The contenders will be Mayank Agarwal, he scored, I think, 700-odd runs in the World Test Championship. Finally, he was displaced by Shubman Gill after the 36 for 9 or the 36 all-out, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, and the other kind of dark horse to me is Hanuma Vihari, who's opened the batting in the past, has been in England since March. He's a top-order player for his uh, domestic side. Um if they want to go with incumbent, Gill stays, but Gill is young. Now, do you want the experience of a, a, a 28-year-old in Mayank who's played a lot of domestic cricket, who might deal with the pressure of a World Test Championship final a little bit better? Someone like Vihari, who's again played a lot of domestic cricket. I think he averages 16 domestic cricket and has come on an England tour previously, scored runs at the Oval, scored, I think, scored 50-odd on, on Test debut. Um, or do you go with the, the young blood in, in Gill and just allow him to go out and play and not worry about the pressure of a World Test Championship final. So that's one decision that India have to make. I think they're going to go with five bowlers, two of which will be spinners. Uh, I'd be surprised if Ashwin and Jadeja both didn't play. 
Um, so I'd be extremely surprised by that. But then the question is, how do you then fit in the seamers? And so the third seamer spot to me is up for grabs. Bumrah walks in, but then who bowls with him? Is it going to be Shami and Ishant? Is it going to, who, who are the, um, who are the top three who've taken over a hundred wickets, I think in, in one year, which is an incredible stat. Or do you uh, bowl Siraj and Ishant? Or do you bowl Siraj and Shami and leave out Ishant? So, that's going to be the discussion that they're going to have. Or do they drop a spinner and have four seamers and just one spinner? And which spinner would you drop? So um, it's a problem of plenty, uh, but it's a good problem to have for the Indian cricket side. No matter what you do, you're going to upset someone, right? So uh, that's just the way it goes with social media and Indian cricket fans. Um, you play Mayank, you're going to upset the Gil fans. You play Vihari, you're going to upset the Mayank and Gil fans. If you drop Siraj, you're going to, oh, why have you dropped Siraj? He took all those wickets in Australia. If you drop Ishanto, he's got experience. Why are you dropping him? We drop Shami, you're like, oh, he bowls with a wobble seam. He takes all these wickets, best bowl over the last few years. So you can't win. You just cannot win with um, with this team. But again, it's a good problem to have rather than scrounging around for players like we did in Australia. Look, we uh, you, you, you've outlined it really well there and, and we're going to make you predict uh, your lineup and, and what you would do if you were the selector in a minute but I do want to take a little detour on the spinners because you, you mentioned Aksha Patel before and, and just the the, um, the amazing series that he had in, in India against England if everyone's healthy I mean is he ever going to get another go for, for India I mean what an incredible start to a test career but Ashwin and Jadeja are just in the queue ahead of him yeah, absolutely. And uh, 27 wickets in three test matches and uh, he can bat as well. So um, he, he's basically 75% of the player that that Ravi Jadeja is effectively. I mean, you've got Washington Sundar. Don't forget, he's he's played in that Gabba test match, made his test debut. He scored 96, I think, against England as well. So, I mean, decent cricketer, decent cricketer, but these guys have been kept out of the team by by Ravi Jadeja, uh, Ravi Ashwin, all-time great Indian spinner almost, um, brilliant against left-handers and New Zealand do have a lot of them, including Devin Conway, um, Tom Latham, Henry Nichols, all of these guys. So I think Ashwin will definitely play. Um, but yeah, I mean, Akshar Patel, um, tough to see him getting another gig. Shardul Thakur took seven wickets in the last test match he played at the Gabba. He's in the squad, but I mean, is he going to get a look in? He scored a 50 and took seven wickets. So uh, I mean, it's it's a problem of plenty. Um, and um, yeah, but uh, Shardul's at least on the squad. Akshar hasn't, is no longer on the horizon, which is, I think it's just tough. It's just symptomatic of the way Indian cricket is at the moment and the strength that they have on the bench. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, uh, let, let's do that now. Let's gaze into the crystal ball and into your mind. You're picking the team. Uh, what's your 11? This is this is going to be really tough. So I think Rohit Rohit um, definitely on top. Um, to partner him, uh, this is this is actually quite hard. But I'd go with Mayank because he scored a few runs in New Zealand. The Indian batsman didn't actually do that well in in New Zealand. He scored a few runs there, um, so he's got experience of playing this attack. He's got a little bit more experience than Gill, I think. Uh, which is why he wins that out. But it's going to depend on how they look in the nets. And the Indian team are known to take calls like this after seeing how players look in the nets. And if Mayank is hitting the ball better than Gil, he gets a look at. 
Number three is Pujara, no doubt about that. Number four is, of course, uh, King Kohli. He's going to walk in at number four, hopefully score a triple hundred and uh, walk off into the sunset. But um, Rahane is number five. When the when the chips are down, he comes in, scores runs. You saw him at the Boxing Day Test match. He scored over a thousand runs in the World Test Championship so far. Number six is Rishabh Pant. Uh, what a revival he's had. And we're colloquially known as the Rishabh Pant show because uh, we've backed him all the way. Even when he was hitting it straight down the throat of long on, we were still saying, let, let the boy play. And it's great to see him come through and us to be vindicated. And the uh, three of us that were the Rishabh Pant <laughs> fan club have expanded into about three billion in, in no time, which is nice. Um, number seven, Jadeja. Uh, because he's a proper all-rounder. He makes the team on um, for his bowling, his batting and his fielding. Just a brilliant, brilliant cricketer. He scored 86 in the last test match he played in England uh, at the Oval, uh, smashing Jimmy Anderson over his head for a six, which fell about two rows behind me. So uh, that was great. Um, number eight, Ashwin. Uh, as I said, I think two spinners. And then... This is the really tough part. I think Bumrah takes 11, which leaves um, 9 and 10. I'm going to actually go with Ishant for his experience of bowling in English conditions. He's played county cricket. He's the leader of the attack. He doesn't leak runs anymore. And that leaves one spot. Now, the question for me is, is it going to be Mohammad Shami or Mohammad Siraj? And uh, this is this is probably the toughest question for me. And I... I want to go with Siraj because Shami hasn't played any test cricket since he broke his arm when he was hit and it was 36 for nine because he retired hurt. Um, he played a little bit of IPL, so I don't know whether his test match fit. Siraj is younger. He's He's got the confidence of, of his uh, performance in Australia. So I, I would go with Siraj, but it's such a tough call. I mean, the stats are again, Shami, he averages 47 with the ball in eight test matches, but there's a Crickbiz article which actually says he should be averaging 26 if all the chances he'd created had actually been taken. So um, he does create wickets. He's known as second inning Shami. And maybe if, if the ball's keeping low, you want him to come in and, and take those wickets. So very similar bowlers. So I'm going to go with Siraj as the younger man and the man in the... Um, so a bit of experience at the top of the order and a bit of youth at, uh, in the bowling lineup for me. So, um, yeah, that, that's my 11. Uh, I'm definitely going to get trolled for that. So um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm bracing myself for that already. Yeah, look, uh, that, that does feel like a big call leaving, leaving Shami out. Um, but yeah, it's a, a tough one. I think, uh, yeah, it would be, would be really tricky to leave, leave any of those guys out the, the way they've played. I think for, for India to win, how do you see the game actually panning out? Because I, I know we've talked to you um, just before on, on your podcast and, and you said, you know, you're, you're definitely backing India to win. So we, we won't even make you, you say that on here. But how would the game actually pan out if they're going to win? So I'd say, I mean, if they bat first, they've got to bat well in the first session um, and then put big runs on the board. They've got the uh, spinners to bowl New Zealand out in the, in the last uh, inning. So... If they bat first, that's how it's going to go. Uh, and if they bowl first, I'd back their seamers to uh, take the New Zealand wickets and um, then put big runs in on in the second innings of the game and uh, bat once, bat big, and um, win the game from there. So um, in either scenario, uh, pretty bullish about an Indian win. Uh, they are, after all, the top of the table. So 
uh, they've done well to get there. Yeah, fair play. You can't can't uh, criticise India's performance uh, in the last five years, really, uh, as Binksy mentioned uh, at, at the top of the show. I mean, is there anything about this New Zealand squad that does make you worried as an Indian fan? Oh, of course. I mean, as I said, we're just bullish, but it's all bluster. So, um, And <laughs> I am quite pessimistic because, I mean, the good thing about... So New Zealand are a top, top class side. And as I said, they've got the psychological edge, knocking India out of the World Cup. They've beaten India in New Zealand. Bolt, Saudi, Williamson, um, top-class performer. So what I'm worried about is on that first morning, if Bolt gets that Dukes in his hand and swings it everywhere and Saudi supports him with Jameson for backup and Wagner at their heads, I mean, that could get over pretty quickly. Um, but the good thing about Test cricket, and which is what we like, it's not just for... It's a bad cricket that end your chances. You have a chance to make a comeback in test cricket. And that's what makes that game so great. Uh, and so eventually, uh, given the overall strength of the Indian side, and I mean, it's just, I think they're, they're an all-round better side, more rounded side with more bases covered um, for all conditions. The question is how they play the seeming ball and how much it moves. Now, Southampton isn't, I think the the place where the ball moves the most. If this was at, I don't know, Manchester or Birmingham, I'd be a little bit more worried. Southampton is, um, or there isn't that much data on it, but the last game that we saw there, it it spun quite a bit. Um, The weather in England here is is getting a bit drier, so hopefully that helps in the uh, preparation of the pitch. The ICC are in charge of the pitches um, for this game, so... Um, hopefully they produce a belter, uh, which spins a bit. Um, but I, I think it's, in all honesty, it's it's the swing and seam of the New Zealand quicks which will worry the the Indian um, Indian batsmen because I think the Indian bowling lineup is pretty sorted. They they will take twenty wickets. It's it's the batting. It's it's a contest of two batting sides really, and uh, whichever team bats better wins the game and that that's how it's going to be i'd say nice and look uh yeah certainly uh the stuff you mentioned there from a new zealand point of view if we can see a, a saudi and bolt masterclass, i would be a, a very happy man but look let's let's leave it there it's been great chatting to you and, and having you on the show i would give uh all of our listeners uh to steer them in your in your direction you guys do some some great work there at, at edges and sledges before we let you go, do you want to run us through where we can find your podcast and, and find you all on social media and give us a man of the match for the for the final? Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Um, so we're, we're on one tip, one hand, which is the number one tip, the number one hand, which is um, homage to the Indian gully cricket rule or street cricket rule. I think you guys may call it one bounce, one hand. So that, that's kind of our ethos in, in that way. We're very much the common man talking about cricket. Um so um, we're on all major platforms, Edges and Sledges. Just search for Edges and Sledges. Um, we're on YouTube as well. We've got a channel there. And um, yeah, uh, Man of the Match, I think I, I probably called it. Uh, Virat Kohli getting his 71st 100, which he's been sitting on, I think, for about 600 days now. Uh, close to 600 days. It's not going to be a, a single 100. It's going to be a triple 100. And um, it's going to be it's going to be fantastic. <laughs> Jeez, if I have to watch a Virat Kohli 300, that might be tough going, but... Look, as I said, it's been it's been absolutely uh, a great great to have you on, and uh, I mean, best of luck for the final. I think 
you know, we talked as, as our own podcast, we talked about how I think when the world test championship came along, we kind of thought, Oh, this seems like a bit of a joke. Like that's not there's but it, it really has grown on us. And um, yeah, we've, we've kind of been hooked to it for the, for the last six months or so. And yeah, really hoping it f- finishes uh, with a fitting finale and, uh, and, and we do see a winner. Uh, we don't want to see another draw in a final. Absolutely. And congratulations to New Zealand for making the final. And it's, it's been, it's been amazing and good luck to everyone. It's going to be a good game. I mean, aside from the, uh, the, uh, the um, sort of uh, partial predictions that I've made, um, New Zealand are a fantastic team and we, we'd love to see a good game of cricket either way, whichever way it finishes, to be honest. Cheers, DJ. Thanks for your time. Thanks, guys. Welcome back to the pod. So that was a fantastic chat we had with DJ from the Edges and Sledges Cricket Podcast. We're just going to wrap up this podcast with predictions for the World Test Championship final. We've got a few minutes left on our little Zoom call before we all turn into pumpkins. I'm going to come to the neutral um, first uh, for his prediction, and then I'm going to put the Kiwis on the spot. Baldy, who's your money on? Oh, look, I have to wear my heart my sleeve. I have to go with my Antipodean brothers and sisters. We never get the love when New Zealand play Australia, so I'm going to give my love to the New Zealanders. I think they'll win the Test match. Raj? Uh, for me, I think that even though India you know, have had some form, they've played some, some good cricket over the weekend, which have pumped the 100. Uh, but I, I think New Zealand win it. I think they've had the match practice in England. Uh, they're they're going to win it. One nil for me. <laughs> Lippy? I, I, I love it. Yeah, look, I, I can't, I can't uh, go against New Zealand. I've, I've talked about how positive, you know, I feel about this side at the moment. I, I just, I just hope my, my biggest hope really is that we get uh, the final that we deserve. I mean, we, this has been building up for, for a long, long time. We've been talking about this world test championship. We've actually become really invested in it and really excited in it. And I, I think New Zealand can do it. I think if we're going to do it, it's going to come down to us taking those wickets up front against in India and knocking them over cheaply for under 300 twice and doing the job. And, and that's who I'm backing and who I'm picking. What do you think, Binksy? Thanks for asking, Raj. Very nice of you. Um, look, I think um, for a couple of reasons, I'm, I'm going to have to disagree with you. Number one, I think um, we rely quite heavily on Indian listeners on the podcast. So <laughs> and the fact that you've just ostracized um, all of them um, with your jingoistic one-eyedness. Um, look, I, I think, um, look, to be fair, I, I think India win this. I think um, the caveat, I would say, is I think the toss is going to be really, really important. Um, but I, I just think with the fact that India can balance their side, still have a, an outstanding pace attack. You know, we're talking about whether they leave out Mohammed Shami or, or, or Siraj, um, but they're definitely, I think, going to play Ravi Ashwin um, and Jadeja as well. They've just got all the bases covered from a bowling um, perspective, as well as some really, really big name um, batters. So I, I just think that they probably just edge it in a, in a one-off um, shoot-off and, uh, to leave you guys heartbroken in England again, unfortunately. Well, that just about wraps up this episode of the Top Order podcast. We will, of course, be back um, to see that all of our position, uh, predictions were an absolute crock of crap um, later um, in the week. But we will be wrapping up um, this test match and the World Test Championship finals and plenty more. Um, so do stay tuned um, to the pod. Please dip in um, to the Edges and Sledges previews, um, both on our podcast 
and go and visit them as well. Uh, one tip, one hand, you'll find them um, on Twitter. You'll find us www.thetoporderpodcast.com. Stay tuned. We'll see you next week. Good night. God bless.